Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. Today I have a personal friend who's actually lived the dream, Chris Reba. And Chris did what a lot of us dream about and actually put everything on hold and took his family sailing. And we're going to be talking about that voyage. And Chris put together a great website, which I'm looking at while we're talking. But Chris, before we go too much farther about the whole voyage, tell us about your sailing experience and where you learned to sail and where you're from and just some background information. Sure. Uh so, name is Chris Reba, uh, from Chicago, uh, born and born and raised. And uh, every time we try to get out of Chicago, it just kind of brought us back. So uh, we were never able to to to, to get out and, and live in other places. We we always wanted to, uh, my my wife and I. Uh, so we are we are born and, and bred Chicago. Um, you know, pizza, sausage sandwiches, and all. We uh, so I started sailing. Uh, right after college, and uh, so I'm, I'm 50 years old. Uh, I started right after college, and, and it's it's kind of interesting that um, the reason I started uh, was because of a <laughs> maybe this is cliched, but it was because of a, a bad breakup, and uh, you know I, I found myself uh, just kind of alone, and uh, really always wanted to to do this. Uh, being from the Midwest, you don't have a whole lot of, um, you know, although you have access to Lake Michigan, I I was from the suburbs and uh, it it just wasn't a thing uh, there, you know, so nobody I knew did any sailing whatsoever. It wasn't until like I I started going to college at DePaul University uh, in the city of Chicago and you had access to the lake and you watch the, the sailboats out there and you're always looking for an opportunity to get out. So uh, I had this bad breakup uh, right after college and uh, decided, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do it. And uh, so I started taking sailing lessons uh, at Belmont Harbor, uh, which is uh, which is an awesome place. And we still keep a boat there now. Uh, my sailing instructors were great. Uh, these guys were uh, Olympic alternates, uh, you know, and they became really good friends. We were out sailing all the time. Um Took lessons for a couple of seasons, started getting involved in some local club, uh, club races, uh, and then bought myself a, uh, a 1976 Peterson 34. 1976 that Peterson. You? Yeah, that was me. I, that was me reminding me to call you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so, I mean, if this was, I mean, I guess I was about 23 years old, 23, 24 years old. No, it was closer to 23. And, uh, and it was a 1976 Peterson 34. And uh, it was a, it was an awful, it was an awful shape. Uh, it had a huge crack along the side. Uh, but, you know, it didn't matter. I, I bought it for 19, I, I remember this, I bought it for $19,000. And I didn't have $19,000. And I made a deal with Larson Marine up in Waukee and uh, bought it in the fall, put $5,000 down on it. And said, uh, if I can't come up with the remaining fourteen thousand by spring, you keep the five grand. And uh, and they, 
it was sitting there for a while. It had a bunch of water uh, in the bilge because it was sitting in their yard. It, it didn't have a forward hatch, uh, hatch cover. Uh, it was in rough shape. The, the bulkheads were all rotted out, uh, but but they did get their 19000 <laughs> <laughs> And you probably spent an additional 50000 getting it ready, oh, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I bought that at 23 and uh yeah, and I spent the next two years rehabbing that boat. And you're absolutely right. Uh that you know, I, I, I don't want to quantify the amount of time that I spent rehabbing this old boat, but we I took that thing down to the to the stringers and fiberglass. And it was an awesome thing to do for someone who is is that young. You know, twenty three, you're kinda of reeling from uh from life and just kind of figuring out how things are um are working or how they're supposed to work. You got a girlfriend or, or an old girlfriend, ex-girlfriend that just said, you know what, you're, come back to me when you got your life together. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so I bought this old sailboat and, uh, and I, I sailed that thing incessantly uh, for about eight seasons. And um, we did, oh, man, I, I mean, I can't even articulate how bad a shape this thing was in. We, you know, it wasn't, I was so proud of it too, by the way, you know, you're, you're such a young person. You've got your first major asset, you know, it's not, it's not real estate. It's, not, it's nothing that's going to generate wealth for you, but it's a, it's an old sailboat. And, uh, you know, I remember the first time I took it out, we were sailing out. If you know, Chicago and Lake Michigan, we've got these cribs that, that are, uh, uh, the water pumping stations out in Lake Michigan. So, uh, I remember taking my parents out on it within a couple of weeks of taking possession and, and at this point, we still had to crack along the side, and it was – we're out around the cribs, and the floorboards uh, were floating. <laughs> <laughs> it had a foot of water in, in that boat, uh, and it took, it took about two miles uh, to, to get a foot of water in the build. So there was uh, some significant structural things that had to be dealt with with that boat. But you learn a lot. You know, if you're rehabbing an old boat like that, uh, you learn a tremendous amount about how, how boats work the nature of fiberglass, uh, how all those systems work if you're going to rebuild them. Uh, so we sailed that boat for about eight years. And uh, during this period, I, I got back together with the girl who dumped me. And that's Joy, my, my wife, if you haven't uh, put uh, two and two together. And uh, so, you know, she and I were out sailing it all the time. And that is glorious. Uh, sailing in the city of Chicago, in Lake Michigan, um, it's it's glorious. It, it's it's such a great place to to sail. Um, that weather can be very nice uh, up in you know when you I guess maybe uh, June through late September, <laughs> weather's great. And as uh, Franz, as you and I were talking just before I got on the phone with you, it's it's awful right now. It's just blustery, and there's there's a good 18 foot. Uh, swells on Lake Michigan right now. Yeah, our friend, uh, so, our common friend Ed so. told me he took his his boat up to Waukegan. It was supposed to be great weather last week, and it turned out to yeah. be terrible weather. So yeah, it can change. It quickly. was terrible, but not as terrible as today. You know, today's okay. brutal. And my my current boat is still in the harbor. I got about two weeks left in it. I'm just waiting for a good weather window. I'm I'm certainly hopeful that we have something conducive to a trip north over the over the next couple of weeks. Where will, where will you so, be wintering your boat, Chris? The same place as that, okay. uh, up in Waukegan. There's a, it, you know, I've got this relationship with Larson Marine. That's the same place that I bought the old Peterson from. Uh, you know, I've been at that marina now for 
you know, coming up on 30 years. So this was how you got started sailing just by just learning, taking lessons and learning and then buying your boat then. Yeah. And it was kind of, um, you know, I knew I wanted to do it and I knew I didn't want to do, um, sail a small boat. I was, I was interested in doing something a little bit bigger than that. You know, most, most people will say, and there's a, there's a book to this, right? Uh, first you got to row a little boat. It's a, it's a good book. If you haven't read that Franz, which one Uh, row a little boat, it's called first, first you got to row a little boat. Okay. And it's, it's really about, um, what the name implies, which is uh, start start a little small before you bite off more than you can chew. I, I guess I've always been the kind of person that's going to bite off more than I can chew and then figure out if I can actually chew it. And thankfully, I've been successful at that. Uh, so sailed it for a lot of years, uh, eventually sold that boat. By this time, I was married um, to to Joy, the, the, uh, the breakup uh, from whom actually uh, – you know, directly related to me buying that boat. And uh, so we sold that boat to finance our first home. Uh, and that was an old three flat in uh, Lincoln Square, uh, if you're familiar with Chicago. It was an up-and-coming neighborhood at the time. Uh, we bought an old three flat, lived in that for a number of years. Uh, when we felt financially stable again, we bought another boat, which was a, uh, a CNC 36. Uh, we wanted a little bit bigger than 34. Two-foot-itis, uh, they call that. They call that two-foot-itis, you know? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully I'm done with that, though. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, the 30, 30, you know, that, that CNC 36 is a, is a good boat. It was a, it was a heavy boat. It wasn't very fast. It was ugly. Uh, but, you know, it was, you know, it was fun. We, we had that for a number of years, too, before we had kids. And uh, well, eventually when my my first daughter was born, I think it was like the following week or whatever, I, we finally pulled the trigger on, on someone buying that uh, from us. So uh, I can say for the first two boats that we had, um, we, we were successful in selling them and that we sold them for more than we paid for them. Uh, now, that doesn't account for all the money that, we, <laughs> that, that we spent. Uh, you know, getting them up, up to speed and, and, you know, and it wasn't just electronics or anything like that. It was, it was fixing the hull. It was uh, um, all the plumbing, all the electrical. And, and, uh, but I, frankly, I like doing that stuff. It, it was fun to see something just come out of the ashes like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've, as you know, I built my boat from the hull and deck and I totally enjoyed the building process. Absolutely enjoyed it. So I, I understand that entirely. Let me ask you this. Now that you've gone through that whole process, would you do it again? Not at my age now, but at the time I would. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, I'm, I'm younger than you, but uh, I, I don't know if I would do it again. It was just, uh, especially now with the constraints that I have on my time. You, if you have two kids, uh, it's just, now they're both in high school, and uh, you know, they all have their, their things that are going on, whether that is uh, theater or you know, Frankie, my, my youngest, is into sailing, which means that you know, she's constantly away at all these regattas, and it's it's uh, so as, as a parent, I just don't have the time to to rebuild uh, another vintage boat. No, you don't now. We can but probably you, get into this later you, on. No, no you, you don't now, but you did back then, and that two different parts of your life, two different times of right. your life, right? Yeah, I had a lot of time and a little money 
Now I've got more money and no time. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that was exactly my situation. At the time, I could afford a hall and deck and that's all. But I couldn't have mm-hmm. afford the marina. I couldn't afford it anything else. So I spent five years yeah. building it. And during that period of time, like you say, you learn every system on your boat. And then when you launch yeah. it, when I launched it, I could afford it. But at the time when I got the boat initially, I couldn't even afford marina fees at that point in time. So just like you. Yeah. 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 I, um, and the, the knowledge that I gained in that process, I wouldn't exchange that for, for anything. I, I thought that was very useful knowledge to, to gain. I don't know if I would, you know, technology has changed so significantly since, uh, since that time. And, and, um, as you know, from, from being on my new boat, it's like, uh, the systems are, are so, um, involved, you know, they're very complicated, you know, and, and eventually we'll get to that part of the interview where we talk about our time down on our sabbatical, but I was crawling on everybody else's boats down there and seeing how complicated these systems can actually be. Uh, you know, some of these boats are just works of, of art, you know, and, um, it's, you know, n- not just from a, an aesthetic perspective, but also from a fun- from fun- functionality. Uh, so, so yeah. So Chris, after the CNC 36, what happened? Uh, so we, we sold the 36 when we had our kids and, uh, you know, things were tight when you have a young family and, uh, and that was, it's funny. That was, uh, 2007. So that was in the, in the heart of the financial downturn. Uh, and you know, we were in probably the same kind of shape as a lot of people, uh, Franz, I'm going to get into the weeds, I guess, a little bit here on on this. Uh, do you have time? Sure. Am I, um, L- listen, okay. if it goes too long, I just break it up into two episodes, so don't worry about it. Yeah, but I don't think I have enough to say that's going to fill up two episodes. But, uh, <laughs> You'll be surprised. If it's so one, that's in, fine. Go go right ahead. Yeah. In 2007, we bought a, a another apartment building here in Chicago. And that was right before the financial downturn. And I had a partner on the building. And this is also relevant to uh, the, the purchase of the boat and then the purchase of the next boat. Uh, that's the reason why I, I guess I'm going into this level of detail. So I, I had this, uh, we bought another three flat and I did it with a partner. And this was 2007, things were starting to crash around us. We hadn't closed on the boat yet, or on the, on the building yet, uh, but our you know, as we were financing it, our quoted interest rate kept on climbing. And, uh, and I remember saying to my, my partner at the time, we got to get out of this thing. Something's happening here, uh, economically, and I don't feel good about this purchase. Uh, my partner at the time was a financial guy. I'm not, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm an attorney, uh, by training and, you know, I've never been much of a, a numbers guy, but I had a feeling th- things were going sideways. And I, I remember saying, you know, we got to get out of this thing. He insisted on moving forward. Our, our interest rate during the period where the mortgage was pending went from 4% up to, I think, almost 8 Uh And at that point, it went from uh, the rents of this three-flat covering the mortgage to a, a shortfall. Uh, but my partner at the time, um, he insisted we just kept on, on plowing through and close on this deal, and eventually we'll – be able to renegotiate the the mortgage so we did uh 
flash forward, um, maybe six months later, you know, he's telling me that he can no longer afford the mortgage on this thing and he signs over the, the billing to me. So I, so I, I kind of was left holding the bag on this building and we were underwater on it. Like, like a lot of people were in 2008. Uh, but I always thought, you know, this is, this is real estate. This isn't a, um, a stock that's, that's not going anywhere. They're not making any more real estate. Don't lose your head and just keep making the payments, protect your credit. Uh, and eventually you'll be able to get out of this thing. So, uh, this is what's going on in the background. And that was 2008. So I was, I continued making the payments on this thing and dealing with this nightmare of a building, this albatross around my neck uh, for years. And then in 2012, uh, Joy and I, my wife and I, decided we were going to start a small business, and it was a small healthcare business, uh, just to make extra income. And uh, so flash forward now a couple years later, and that small business really took off. Uh, We went from seven employees. uh, Now, I mean, this is, you know, so I'm not speaking for 2012. I'm speaking for 2023. We're at 53 employees, uh, and we operate in three different states. But the the trajectory was there. So 2000. Um, so that would be 2013. Then we finally felt like we had some financial stability again, and we went and bought the Pacific Seacraft. Uh, and that is, uh, if you're at the double ender. Uh, it, it's a blue water boat uh, designed by Krelak, Bill Krelak. Uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're if you're familiar with this boat, uh, it's a great boat. It's a great blue water boat. It is designed to go in one direction uh, stably. Um, it, it's not very fast. It was very difficult to maneuver, especially in close quarters. Uh, you put it in reverse, you had no idea what you were going to get. <laughs> An adventure. Uh, and, yeah, it, and it was. And, and uh, thankfully, it was only 34 feet, so you weren't going to get into too much trouble with that prop wash. Uh, but, you know, it was something to always be aware of. And, and uh, its top speed was like five knots. You know, it was, it was slow as anything, but it was stable. And uh, so we bought that in let's call that um 2013 somewhere around there and uh it was a so we sailed that for a a few years my kids were still little um and joy and i started talking about the prospect of maybe taking a sabbatical and at at this point in our lives you know we were done having kids but we had a bunch of employees and we had this, this going business and most of our employees are, are women. Uh, so out of 53, currently, I bet you there's 48 of them are, are women. And um, most have taken a, a um, maternity leave at, at some point. Um, we thought, you know, we never had the opportunity to take a, a maternity leave because we were dealing with that building. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, we were, so we thought, you know, if you own a business and you're involved in the day-to-day operation of the business, it's hard to justify to people, look, I'm going to take the next six months off. Uh, it's hard to have that discussion. Uh, people are, we feared everybody would just leave and say, what do we need these people for? Uh, but when you can relate it to, you know, look, out of, at the time, let's say we had 40 employees and maybe a little more, uh, we, you know, most of you have taken a maternity leave. Uh, we are calling this our 
our maternity leave, our, our belated maternity leave. And we we're going to take the next, we, I think we, we said we were going to take five months off. So this is before the pandemic um, that we let everybody know that this was in the cards. At some point over the next, you know, uh, we hadn't solidified the date at that point, but we started cluing people and we're going to take a sabbatical. And I, I do believe that because we were able to just kind of relate it, like, look, uh, you took four months off for your maternity leave, and uh, we never did that. So uh, with that, we had the support of most of the people that worked with us. Okay. So so we sailed the the Pacific Sea craft for a number of years before we did the, the sabbatical, uh, planning out what we wanted to do, uh, making changes to the boat. We didn't buy the boat for the specific reason of taking the sabbatical. We we bought the boat because a Peter a, a Pacific Seacraft is a is a great boat, had a great reputation, solidly built. Uh, at the time, I thought I didn't want 36 feet. I wanted something a little bit smaller. Um, so we went with this boat, uh, and I don't regret it. It, it was uh, it was a great boat for where we were at at the time. As I recall, and Frederick Mates, I think that's how you pronounce this name best boats this is one of those boats listed uh, is that right yeah. I, I don't know mm-hmm. yeah it, it's a solid boat you know yeah. uh for people who know what they're uh, friends remind me i, I you're on a um west sail 32 no a, Brist, a bristol channel cutter sam moore's bristol channel, channel design cutter. bristol yeah. channel cutter or, or lyle has designed sam moore's yeah. bristol channel cutter yeah and that was also in the same book. That's why I know your boat boat, boat was that's in there. So. Right. That's where I was going with that. Uh, if, if you know your sailboats, you know the Pacific Sea Crafts. Yeah. It, it's not a Beneteau. It's not a Hunter. This is this is a purpose-built boat. And, and you know, if I don't mind saying that it was beautiful. Uh, they don't build double-enders, you know, much anymore. And when you came into – for my last couple of years in Belmont Harbor, I was on a mooring ball. Uh, which is a whole separate story <laughs> having to do with some of the corruption of the city of Chicago. But uh, I was on a mooring ball. And so you're you're very much out there for everybody's gaze. And I, it wasn't a day that went by that I didn't hear someone say, boy, that's a beautiful boat. It was. It was a it was a slate blue uh, double ender cutter rigged. And it was just classic, you know, it, beautiful boat. You maintained it well. I'm looking at a picture of it here, and you maintained it very well. Thank you. Uh, it, too, I think it was a 1990 vintage, so it was an older boat. you know. And I only sold it, um, I guess we can get to that in a second, too. I, I sold it while we were on the, on the sabbatical. Uh, so that's April of 2021. Um, you know, so it was a 31-year-old boat, and it had its problems, uh, but... It was well maintained. I, I did everything that I could to keep that thing watertight, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good boat for us. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's get to the sabbatical. And what were the intentions, and what were the reactions from from your two girls? So um, they were little, you know, when we first broke the news for to them that we wanted to do this. Um, if I let me think, so I would bet that they were maybe fourth and fifth grade maybe mm-hmm. okay. uh, that, we, that we said like look in a couple of years we want to do this and we're going to take this time as a family uh you know the, i i think that um the impetus for the sabbatical was was frankly family time it was 
uh, uninterrupted time with your kids during their formative years uh, where they didn't have any social pressures or, or anything, uh, where they could just kind of be themselves and, um, and, and have a, a life that was outside of the norm and off the couch and off of electronics. And as they, as they aged, you know, after we told them about this and, and as the next couple of years in preparation went by, uh, you know, the, the stronghold of, of electronics uh, became more prevalent and obvious. And uh, it was all the more reason that we were like, we, we got to take this time as, as a family, just get them off uh, of, you know, the, the current uh, way we do things in the U.S. and most of the, most of the world, right, and social media, et cetera. So, um, so they did one, you know, now that I'm looking back, I don't, neither one of them had a strong feeling about it in the, in the beginning. I mean, cause it's kind of abstract, but as we progressed in our, in the, in the whole process towards the end, they were pretty apprehensive and, and it's hard to blame them for that. Cause you know, here in the Midwest I, at the time, I didn't know anybody who did anything like this Our parents thought we were being ridiculous. Uh, you know, I've gotten speeches from members of the family. What are you doing? Uh, you know, my, I come from a blue collar background where my dad worked, uh, you know, and he worked and he worked and my father-in-law, same thing. And the idea that you would voluntarily take six months off of your career to go sailing was just foreign. So we, we put up with, a, a fair amount of criticism and in um, doubt. I, I, I think that's probably the most uh, kind way to put it. Uh, so we, we trained for it. Uh, Joy went and took a, um, a, an offshore sailing class. It's offered only for women. Maybe I can give her, this lady a plug. This is a uh, Nancy Early out in um, the Pacific Northwest. She's out of uh, Anacortes, okay. uh, if I remember correctly. And she takes only women on uh, week-long or, or, or couple-week-long excursions where she teaches women how to be offshore. So Joyce signed up for that. That was a great experience for her. I was, that was kind of the litmus test of whether or not it was actually going to happen, the, the whole sabbatical. She's like, I don't know if I can be on board that boat for that long with, uh, in close quarters with the kids and you. So, uh, but she came back and, and she had an awesome time. It was, it was a great experience for her. Um, so we had to get the kids on board and then we had to get the kids school on board. Uh, this is all stuff that I highlight in the, in the blog that we wrote. Um, and then the, the, uh, the pandemic occurred and we had everything lined up. We had uh, we our initial plan was we were going to do as much of the Caribbean as we could. My intention was probably leaving the boat down there so that we could do it at, at another season at, at some point because I, I had a feeling that it was just too much territory to to really see over the course of the single season. Uh, we we had a, a great deal with uh, with the kids' school and then the governing authority for that school uh, for the archdiocese uh, of the city of Chicago. Uh, and then the pandemic occurred, and uh, this put everything in uh, in a tailspin. Whether or not this is actually going to happen, I mean, so when did we deal with the the pandemic? That 
that started in uh, 2020, right? Yeah, yeah, in the two, the yeah. March 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this was, I mean, you know, every day I'm, I'm watch, like everybody else is watching the news, man. Are they going to get this thing under control? Like we have, you know, it sounds so selfish, but we were like, you spent five years of your life planning and coordinating this sabbatical on this boat and the money that we had invested at the time, everything that we had uh, put into this thing, you know, figuring out systems and, and uh, ways we were going to be away from home and school and, and managing our house and, and bills and all this stuff. So it was all thrown into question because of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, as we just kept on going through the pandemic, our, our plans kept on changing. Uh, it was not until, man, uh, probably two months, maybe even maybe even less, that we before we actually cast off that we had a solid plan. Uh, because at this time, like you couldn't get into the British Virgin Islands, you couldn't get into the U.S. Virgin Islands. Uh, some of the some of the Caribbean um, islands would allow you in there if you had a COVID test uh, within a few days of, of arrival. But there was really no way to do that if you're departing from Florida. Uh, so uh, eventually, the Bahamas opened up. And although that was disappointing that we only had access to the Bahamas for the uh, for, for that year for what was that December 20th through um, April May 2021, uh, that couldn't have worked out any better. The Bahamas are you know roughly 700 islands. Uh, a lot of them are uninhabited. It, it was and because of COVID, uh, there, there was nobody there. So we had we had to run into place. Uh, that was a pretty great experience. So in September of 2020, I uh, paid a guy in a pickup truck to take my boat from Chicago down to Miami. I drove down there. I met it down there, uh, started reassembling the boat. Uh, you know, 34-foot Pacific Seacraft is a sizable boat, but it didn't require a semi. Uh, they were just able to load it on a trailer. Uh, so... I met the boat down in Miami, started reassembling this thing. And eventually, over the course of uh, like a solid week down there, pulling the boat back together, uh, we left it then in Miami waiting for clearance from, from the government, if I remember correctly, because uh, this was really the time where everything was really in flux. We had that boat down in Miami without really knowing whether or not we were going to be able to cast off. Uh, so I left Miami October 1st. And I was waiting for the kids to be done with school, and we were going to go through the holidays. Uh, and then the plan was to cast off with the blessing of the government. We assumed that we would have it at the time, and we would assume that there was going to be some islands that would that would uh, accept us. So, I mean, if you can imagine the resources that went into getting that boat down, they're getting it all prepared. Now I'm paying for a, a slip in a marina in Miami just waiting to see if we get clearance to go uh, you know, the, the 50 or so miles across the Bahamas without really knowing, you know, we, we was just kind of a belief that at some point uh, this is going to be resolved in our favor uh, somehow. So it was really the heart of COVID uh, that December. The plan was initially to leave after the holidays, but as the kids got out of school, uh, we just thought, you know, what are we waiting for? Like we're canceling Christmas this year anyways, you know, why are we, why are we waiting until January to, to head across? Uh, so we drove down um, to meet the boat in Miami. And from there, we departed from Miami um, 
into the Bahamas. And we spent the next uh, almost five months just going island to island in the Bahamas. And, uh, you know, I, I can't say enough about how much of a great experience that was. So did you actually get the blessing to leave the country or anything like that? Because as I recall, did. I, you did. Okay, good. Yeah, what's your recollection? Uh, when I did my first Atlantic crossing, I thought, well, do I need to get clearance to leave the country? So I called the Coast Guard up as I'm leaving, as I'm sailing out. And they said, no, we don't require any clearance to leave the country. But apparently they did for COVID then. At the time, yes. And it was coordinated with the other countries in the in the Caribbean. So um, the Bahamas had a, had a uh, rule that you needed to, you needed a, a negative COVID test that was no, I think 72 hours is what you were allowed from the date of the negative COVID test to entry into the country. Uh, and then um, what I, and you needed to, to fill out a health visa and there were some additional fees that you had to spend uh, for, I think health, health um, coverage while you were there. And I think we also had to prove that we had, um, that we had access to a way to get out of the country if we had to. And I mean, that was all covered by, I call Blue Cross our insurer. And I think I also paid for uh, additional coverage to make sure that if we had to evacuate, we could, it was really kind of scary at the time, you know? Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it, which is one more reason why, you know, our family was like, what the hell are you doing? But we, we had so much invested in this at the time. We were like, it's not, we're not turning back now. You know, this, at some point, this will be over. And uh, are we going to spend this time in our basement or in our dining room back in Chicago, or are we going to be island side in the Bahamas? And frankly, you know, we were by ourselves, you know, most of that time in the Bahamas. You, you know, I, I can't picture a better way to social distance than <laughs> it's just you and your family, you know, down you know, down next to these islands. So, so um, go ahead. So you had a great time then, it sounds like. Did you, did uh, provisioning, was there any problem? Or you just have to wear a mask? Or was there any problem? It was, you... Yeah, the whole the whole place was masked up. Okay. Uh, without question. But but also, I, I felt like the Bahamas did a good job keeping it under control. You couldn't get into the country unless you had a negative test. And there was, um, there was, at one point, you couldn't even go to a different island without having a negative test. But they, they had a, a pretty good handle on the whole thing. So if you were in a, uh, if we were in Nassau, yeah, sure, we were masked up. But most of the time when you were amongst all of their, um, their out islands, there was no masks. It was beautiful because uh, you didn't have to be. You know, anybody who spent the time to get all the way out to Long Island has been on their boat for five days uh, at least, right? And <laughs> yeah. they weren't carrying anything. Uh, so it was, it was an awesome way to escape what was happening with COVID. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I can't say enough about it. I, and I, I wonder sometimes if my perspective is, um, colored by the fact that we, it was so empty. You know, I, I've heard other people say that they, uh, have cruised the Bahamas before and it was very crowded. That wasn't our experience because everybody was home with COVID. What a great time to travel. Wonderful time to travel. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it really was. Um, so we started, we, we went from um, Miami into Bimini, and then we went down through the um, the Exuma Island chain, which was great. We went down through um, the, um, 
I'm, I'm trying to, I'm drawing a blank now. It was uh, the Exumas, but we also did the uh, shit up in the north. And I, I'm, I, I'm, I don't I'm, know them well I'm, enough to, to know the difference, but basically you sailed around the Bahamas, and that's a big area to sail around. It's a big area. The, the, Man, it's bumming me out that I can't remember the name, <laughs> the, the name of the chain of it. Now, there's a lot uh, of very shallow places in, in the Bahamas yeah. in that big lagoon. How did you – did you have any problem navigating? Did you bump up against anything along the way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and thankfully, like that Pacific Sea craft, like it was made for that kind of thing. Uh, it was. So so the, the PSC only drew 411, uh, so you can get in most places. And uh, so uh, – we, we, you run into problems all over the place. Um, but we, we, and we, we touch ground all the time. And when that happened, you would just have to, uh, you know, wait for the tide to change. And that's something you get used to as well as a great Lake sailor. You know, uh, we don't have a tide here. Yeah, that's right. I was going <laughs> to say, know, what no, do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or nor current. Right. So it was, you learn a lot, uh, out there doing that. Yeah. So how big is the tide down there? It's not that big in the Bahamas, is it? No, but it, it creates it, – I'm, I'm sorry. I just looked it up. The Eleuthera Island chain, we started there. Okay. Uh, we, were, we were there for probably a month, maybe even longer, uh, until making it across to the Exumas and then down to the Out Island. And so out of all of the Bahamas, that, that's like half of it. You know, and, and even then, like we could have spent a lot more time at each one of these places. So if I was at anchor at, um, you know, Allen's Key, you know, we were there for two nights, I remember, and easily we could have spent a week there. You know, I mean, just people, fishermen coming up uh, with their lobsters and, and the groupers that they were trying to sell. Uh, so you had easy access to fresh seafood. Um, it, it was it was really spectacular. That's great. That's great. Now, in hindsight, now that it's been a few years since you did this adventure, how do your daughters feel about the experience they had? Well, I'll tell you, like, we don't, I would have thought that they'd be talking about it all the time like I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, When we first got back, you know, it's funny, my my older daughter did not want to be there. Um, But, but she's also if you if you catch her talking to her friends about it, she'll never say it to my face. But if you catch her talking about it, she'll say, "Boy, it was really awesome." And she has these memories of, uh, you know, when we were going through an area called the Bite of Eleuthera, and there were, um, boy, we probably had a, a dozen um, uh, dolphins, you know, swimming up on the boat. You know, I mean, that was amazing. Where, where you're just looking down, and it's just, you know, there's a bunch of them there swimming with you, you know, experiences like that, or, you know, we were in this other area that was by far the highlight down there. It was uh, an Island, their national park uh, called Wardrick Wells. And uh, we were on anchor there for, uh, on their mooring ball, you know, for like three days or so. And the wildlife there was just spectacular. And, you know, I remember my, again, my older cynical daughter, uh, she's on the bow and she's just looking down and there were a bunch of eagle rays just swimming, you know, circling the boat. And, and uh, that kind of experience you don't get very often. And, you know, she'll say that it was just it was awesome. She will use those words. that This was really an awesome experience. Uh, she'll say that when she's not around me. <laughs> <laughs> she'll say it to her friends. She'll say it to other people. But she'll never let me know 
that how how old is she now? Daughter. How old is she right now? She's, she's sixteen. And oh yeah, yeah. That, okay. That, yeah. My daughters didn't come out of it till they were around their twenties, but they come yeah. out of it. They all come out of it. That's great. So I, I, I can see it, and you can start to see the glimmer of it. Uh, you know, it, it's hard when you pull a teenager out of what they know and uh, and try and introduce them to something new. And, you know, the fact that nobody we have ever known has did, had done something similar to this, uh, that it was hard. It was hard on her. It was hard on both kids. I think it might have been harder on my older one because she was at the age where she was missing her friends back home. But all of her friends back home were in lockdown. You know, so every time we had a discussion about, boy, I'm a little homesick, well, you could be home and, and sitting there in the basement and you're not getting together with your friends because none of them are doing anything right now. They're miserable. And you just had a lobster delivered to you, you know, by some guy in a rowboat. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, as, as I said in the blog, I, I really hope and I think it did. I, I think that it created a um, hopefully a, a sense of what they can do and what they can endure uh, you know, for them, I, and it, it sounds like it was all, you know, lobsters and grouper, but it wasn't, there, there were several days. And if you go to the Bahamas in December and January, there's those northers that roll through that uh, can last a week. And, and there was one period in particular where it was a solid week where we were on anchor and it just blew every day. And it was awful. You know, the boat just, um, those, those PSCs, they roll, you know, uh, and it was just gunnel to gunnel. And it lasted days. And, uh, and that sucked, you know. It, it, so what I'm saying is that I, I think that both kids hopefully got a sense of, of what they can endure. Um, and, you know, a, a sense of accomplishment, uh, a sense that they can do things that are difficult. And that's really what I was looking for. And what I said in the blog, this wasn't, this wasn't designed to be a vacation. And most of the people who gave us uh, grief about it really thought that we were looking for a vacation. That, that wasn't it. We weren't looking for that. Um, there were some real moments of difficulty. And then there were some moments like I described with, you know, watching dolphins surf off the bow of your boat. And, you know, the, the imagery down there is just spectacular. And, and the friends we made, you know, all that stuff is a tremendous high. And it's also coupled with some significant lows. And that's how life works. And uh, it's hard to experience that from a couch. And it is even more difficult to experience that from a couch during a pandemic. So I, I would say that mission accomplished in, in that regard. So we finally pulled the pin on the sabbatical in, um, in April 2021. We were in uh, Spanish Wells, which is in North Eleuthera. And it was funny. This was also a period where uh, the pandemic re resulted in uh, a lot of people looking for sailboats. It, it was funny. You know, I think you and I talked about this mm -hmm. at one point. That, yeah. uh, like there was a premium on sailboats. So I sold the Pacific Seacraft while I was down there to somebody sight unseen. Uh, he gave me what I was asking for it and even came down to get it. And uh, it was it, so we just kind of lucked out. It didn't have to sit on the market for six months, but we did. We wound up selling that boat. We knew we needed something a little bit bigger. Uh, and something a little bit more comfortable. And the, you know, my kids are now 16 and 14. Um, my youngest one is a freshman in high school. My older is a, a junior. 
And uh, within what? So three and a half years, they're both going to be in college. Uh, and so now we start thinking about what we want to do next. And, uh, and we knew we needed something bigger, a little bit more comfortable. My wife is on board with doing extended cruising as the kids are in college and beyond. Uh, but in order to get her to sign on to that, we needed something comfortable. Uh, we needed air conditioning. That was that was her big, uh, big request. We needed uh, something that didn't, you know, that one of the one of the problems that we had in the PSC is, you know, when you have a 30 year old boat, there's just a smell to it. And if it's not your smell, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you bought it from somebody else and you're inheriting the smell that you can't get rid of, that's that's. Okay, I, I'll give you that. You know, we maybe needed something that didn't smell as bad. Uh, so we did. We we sold that one, and then we bought a new one. We bought a new sailboat while we were down there. Uh, I, I signed the contract on the new sailboat while we were down in, in Spanish Wells. Um, now, so earlier in the interview, I was talking about this building that we bought. And uh, so it, this was also a period not only was there a premium on used sailboats, but there was also a, a, a premium on multi-unit buildings. So after holding on to that building that I bought in 2007 and, and kind of not having a, a great experience with it, uh, we finally sold it. You know, while we were down there, we put it up for sale. We had a bite almost immediately. Uh, and within a few months, we were, we were closed on it, and I was done with that. And it, it left us with some, with some money in the bank, you know, kind of pretty close to what we put into the whole project. And my wife, who is, uh, you know, she's coming to sailing uh, with, a, with an open mind and a good heart. And she's, she's like, you know what, you should use that money and put it into put it into the sailboat, like buy a sailboat that uh, that will accomplish everything that we're looking to accomplish that's going to make us comfortable. Uh, but here, you've got my permission to just use this money to buy the, the new boat. So we looked. Um, you know, there were a couple on the short list. It was hard to find a sailboat that had the performance characteristics that I was looking for with the level of comfort that I was looking for. Um, so as we were down there, after a bunch of investigative work, but at the same time, not even going to see one, uh, on, on our short list was, um, was the Tartan 41. Uh, we, we wanted to buy a new boat, uh, you know, and have it somewhat customized at, at the at the builder. So Tartan 41 was on the list. Uh, and I think that was we were looking at um, uh, island packets, but we were running into the same problem. You know, no boat is perfect, right? There's always the trade-offs between performance and and comfort. But the one that just kept on uh, screaming to me was the Halberg Rassi 40C. And it, it just had, it ticked off all the boxes. Uh, in France, you've been on this thing. It, not only is it a beautiful boat, it is, uh, its performance qualities for a cruiser like that are fantastic. Uh, it's maneuverable. Uh, it, it, right? Maneuverable. You can go sideways in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's decked out. Um, so I, I'm a little, uh, conflicted about the amount of money we spent on that thing. Uh, but uh, more than a little conflicted, but, but to my, my wife's point, she's like, you know, you've been de dealing with this building for so many years and it just screwed up in so many ways. Let's turn it into, into something positive. 
And that's where that money came from. And um, for your, your listeners who, who are unaware, uh, you know, Franz is also our financial advisor. And having Franz, having you on board the boat uh, was, I'm like, oh, shit, I can't believe I got to show Franz how much money I spent on this. <laughs> <laughs> so I get the benefits of your, uh, your foolishness. That's okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah. But then again, so, so recently I, I was, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm conflicted about it. But I, I started looking at what it would cost to get something similar built in the U.S. And there's not a whole, number one, you couldn't get those performance qualities in a cruiser. I, I'm convinced that there's not a U.S. built cruiser with those performance abilities. I, I have, I've yet to see it. Uh, so, I, you know, if you're looking at a, um, a, a Hinkley, you know, number one, you're not getting a new Hinkley because they're not building new Hinkley sailboats. Uh, you're buying a 20-year-old Hinkley, and you're, you're adding a comma, you know, to what I spent on the, on the Halper Grassy. Uh, so, you know, new boats are expensive. Uh, I know what a what a new Genoa costs, and uh, I didn't spend that much more, maybe maybe a little more. <laughs> but but, uh, but you, I I've yet to see a boat that ticks them all off the way that that Halberg Rassi does. Oh, it's a beautiful boat, and I loved being on that boat. I especially enjoyed the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> you can thank my wife for that one. <laughs> He said, if we're going to do this again, we're getting air conditioning. And you know what? That's a small price to pay. <laughs> when your wife says, you need to go out and buy a new boat, and it needs to have air conditioning, you, you follow suit. So, uh, so we did. We took possession of that boat in um, last summer, at the end of last summer. Uh, that, and it was a fun process. Getting the boat built uh, was totally fun. Um, the, my, you know, we, we, we did the paperwork while we were still in the Bahamas. We picked out all the options when we were in the Bahamas but we still hadn't seen it and the borders were closed at the time. Like you just couldn't, you couldn't go anywhere. Uh, but when the borders opened, you know, you didn't have much notice and we knew that they were going to close up again. So I grabbed my younger daughter who's actually into sailing. And we said, let's go take a look at it. Uh, flew out to Stockholm, uh, spent a couple of days there and then uh, took a train over to the other side of the, of the country, the West coast and went to the factory and, and watched them building it and, and picked out all the remaining details. That was an awesome experience. And, you know, they had the floor model out there. So we spent a, an afternoon sailing it around the West coast of Sweden. Um, you know, you asked what my uh, kids think of the whole process it, or, you know, all of this. And I think that like that kind of experience, like it's lost on them how cool this was. The sabbatical down in the Bahamas, the fact that my younger and I went sailing around the west coast of Sweden and we picked out our boat, it's lost on them. Uh, it's not until they're about 30 that they're going to think back and say, wow, that was really cool. I can't believe we actually did that. Uh, that it, was a, it, was a, it was a fun project, and, and I can't say enough about the way it was approached by the, the folks at Halberg Grassy. Like the, I was hearing... Uh, nightmares from people who were in similar situations that one guy like this was um, the, the inflation in boat prices at the time was was unbelievable. I, I had a friend who was buying a um, an island packet and, you know, the, the builder reneged on the on the price. I kept on coming back and saying, well, 
you know, it's going to it's going to cost you another twenty thousand. It's going to cost you another thirty thousand, and had nothing to do with changes in the build. It was about the inflation of the materials. Uh, Halvergrassi didn't do that. Like the, the price was the price. Um, you know, they were they were really great to deal with. Frankly, the only thing I would say that was difficult about it, uh, we, um, I, I was out of time. I, I, I certainly couldn't go back to all of our people at the office and say, okay, I'm going to take another six months and sail the boat from Sweden to, to Chicago. Right. Uh, so we had to get it shipped. And that was also during that period where shipping and uh, international shipping was just a mess. So the contract that I signed for shipping was supposed to deliver the boat in May. I think we finally got it in uh, late, late August. Oh, wow. uh, so that. Yeah, it was it was something, you know, and you're really at their mercy. There's nothing you could do about that. Um, we finally took possession of the boat, and this was awesome too. We we uh, we had the boat shipped. Um, it was put on a freighter. There were two ports they gave us options for, and one was in Baltimore, and the other was in um, Cleveland, of all places. Cleveland is pretty close to Chicago, so uh, so we it was an extra two grand to get it to Cleveland. Uh, and that, and my wife and I, we had, uh, both kids were away at the camp at, at, at their respective camps. Uh, we drove out to Cleveland, we climbed aboard this freighter, took the boat off of the freighter. I mean, that, that was a pretty great experience, you know, um, spent the weekend in Cleveland and, uh, and then started the process of getting it back to Chicago. That, that was really a fantastic experience. That's great. Well, you've covered it in pretty much detail. And I'm sitting here, as you've been talking, I've been staring at all the photographs you put on your website. And now I'm on the Halberg Rassi website looking at the uh, the choices you had on the 40C. And I see what you chose yeah. for the for the kitchens a little different than the one. The I mean, you had a couple choices. And I, yeah, that was one of the most comfortable boats I've ever sailed on. I remember <laughs> I did the Chicago Mackinac race with you, and this is the second Chicago Mackinac race I went with you. The first one was on, I think it was Eddie's boat, Eddie Ed Valenti's yeah. boat. But this is the second yeah. time I've done a Mack race with you, and uh, this was in your boat, and I just thank you for, for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. But that cockpit, we had how many people did we have in that cockpit? Eight people in that oh, yeah. cockpit or six people no, in that probably. cockpit? And yeah, they were playing rummy cube with your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was no wind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When there was no wind, cause there, we weren't sailing. We were just wasting time there waiting for the wind oh, to come up, but, but yeah, it was a, yeah. a, a great experience. And so, yeah, thank you. It it was, it, you know, it's always great to do that kind of race, uh, with, with your boat. Cause you learn a lot about your boat. And, um, so I'm looking forward to doing it again next summer. Joy really enjoyed sailing. I mean, it's so rare she to did. find a, a wife or a woman that enjoys sailing, so that's great. I mean, you've got a wife that enjoys it. My wife enjoys it, but not to the extent that I do. So yeah, what are your plans with the yacht? Are you going to take it over to the Mediterranean? That's, so our, our current plan is um, once the kids are off to college, which, again, so Frankie being um, a freshman, I still got some time. Uh, but when Frankie heads off to college, that'll mean I'll have two in college. And that gives us a, a solid four years of being pseudo empty nesters. Uh, so our plan is to take it back into the Caribbean and be snowbirds down in the Caribbean for those years while the kids are in school. Okay. My goal, my goal is to, um, it, you know, so snowbirds down in the Caribbean and then, and then bring the boat back up North 
you know, probably I would think Annapolis or something like that to, to store it during the summer months. Uh, and then my, my goal is before it's so on 50, my goal is by 60, I want to cross the Atlantic and spend a bunch of time in the Mediterranean. Uh, so that is, it's a 10 year goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see that, ha- which is pretty reasonable. I, I, I think, you know, I'm looking more towards about, um, yeah, but that makes sense. You know, now that I'm laying the, the timeline out there, I've got four years back here before I can head back offshore, uh, do the, uh, the Caribbean while the kids are in school and then finally head across. And, um, that's, and then we would probably, you know, who knows where we'll be in life at the time. Um, it's 60, 65, uh, and see what happens after that, yeah. frankly. Yeah. Well, Chris. But I'll be dead by then. Yeah, Chris, I've really enjoyed, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to be dead by then. Hey, let's not forget <laughs> I'm 70, so that's okay, and I'm still sailing, so. Yeah. Chris, I've enjoyed this, and thank you for coming and sharing your your experience with us, and maybe sometime we'll get the kids back on and talk to them about what they thought of it. That would be great. I think that may be. I think that may be an interesting interview to yeah. hear hear her their perspectives. Um, you know, two years out. Yeah, yeah, it's great. We would we would definitely be interested in that. All right, thanks, Chris. I'm going to turn off the recorder now, and you and I are going to continue to talk for a second or two. Sounds good. Thanks, friends. The website for sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. <laughs>